Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for September 21st, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film writers Huaytran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Okay, guys, we've got a bunch of news. Like, I feel like uh, the last couple of weeks have been kind of really slow, but yesterday and today, a bunch of stuff hit. Uh I'm actually kind of nervous because um, I my recording studio is deep inside my walk-in closet, uh, so it, it is <laughs> kind of isolated from the rest of my apartment. And my and my new iPhone is supposed to be arriving today, and I have already missed one person knocking my door. So, and I was in my bedroom. This is much worse because I'm like deep inside a closet. So I'm 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 worried that I'm going to miss my iPhone while recording this podcast. But uh, that's just what I have to do for for you know the love of movies. You make your sacrifices for work. Yeah. For the, for the journalism. I, I can go another day without a bigger iPhone. It's fine. Um, okay, let's jump into the news. Uh, let's start off with the news that they are making a Diablo TV series at Netflix. Uh, H.E., you're at the Suffer site. What do we know? Yeah, so Diablo, the popular role-playing uh, video game series from Blizzard, is reportedly in development at Netflix, according to Andrew Cosby, who is the writer for the upcoming Hellboy reboot, Hellboy Rise of the Blood Queen. So for the past few months, uh, Cosby has been rumored to be attached to this series and has uh, also tweeted previously that if he were writing a Diablo series, quote, it would definitely be rated R, unquote. <laughs> so um, his most recent tweet, which... Uh, has now been removed. Uh, he said, uh, quote, I guess I can confirm that I am indeed in final talks to write and show run the new Diablo animated series for Activision and Netflix. Um, so this, uh, again, was deleted by him. So we're not sure. Like, there's been non-confirmation from Netflix yet. Uh, but it seems like this is uh, heavily in development at Netflix and as an animated series at that, which might be able to help break that video game curse that has dog so many um video game adaptations for the past uh few decades 
This is interesting because, like, I don't know, this is a popular title. I mean, I know Blizzard, their most popular titles are World of Warcraft and uh, that card game uh, Hearthstone, um, which is based in the, I guess, Warcraft world. But Diablo is a game that people have been playing for decades. Have either of you guys played Diablo? No, you might want to cut. You might want to cut this out because neither me or Chris have played it. Uh, and neither has I. And neither have I. So that that really makes us unqualified to talk about this. But I, I'm actually, um, you know, I'm not a person that has ever played Blizzard games. But my friends are big uh, Blizzard fanboys. You know, they go to BlizzCon every year, and um, it's just from the outside looking in, I'm surprised that we haven't gotten a StarCraft movie going on because that's kind of like. Uh, you know, what they're doing with Warcraft, but set like in kind of like a sci-fi Star Wars like universe. And uh, that to me, at least, uh, you know, I'm a sci-fi geek at heart, I guess. That to me seems like the the most appealing of the, their properties. But uh, it doesn't seem like anybody wants to make that. Um, Maybe they're worried about oversaturation just because there are so many sci-fi movies and series right now. And a lot of them are related to Star Wars because, you know, Star Wars has its hands in every pot from movies and TV to animated. So, yeah. But they're slowing down. So there, there is a, there is a, there's a hole here for someone to take advantage of. Uh, but uh, okay, let's move on to another story. Uh, we, we've been talking about that Child's Play remake. They have released a first look at the new Chucky. Chris, you wrote this up for the say. I know people can go to slashfilm.com and check out this this first look. Uh, what is it? A teaser poster. Uh, you are a big Child's Play fan. Uh, what do you think of this? I uh, I hate it. Um, maybe. <laughs> I say in the post that maybe I'm biased just because I love the original Child's Play franchise so much. And I think this remake is a terrible idea, but I, I don't like the look of this. I mean, you know, on some levels, it looks like Chucky. I mean, you know, the red hair is there and the, the freckles and all that stuff. But it's really like smooth and kind of like, you know, I don't know, like glossy, which just looks really it just looks like. A, a very fancy version of Chucky, which I don't like at all. Like the original looked like, you know, a toy. This looks like something, I don't know. This is like a, like a porcelain statue almost. I don't know. It's very weird, but again, maybe I'm biased because I, I, the, the child's play franchise is actually, believe it or not, my favorite horror franchise somehow, even though it's, it's very silly. I, I love it. So I'm, I'm against this in every way, shape or form. <laughs> no, I, I am definitely with you here. Like, I feel like the original Chucky doll, looked like a doll this looks yeah i guess what you said a porcelain porcelain like kind of statue like one of those uh you know really expensive dolls that they sell to i don't know who they sell them to but that's what it looks like to me and uh it's weird too because like it's almost like it's too detailed like a doll really doesn't have that many details the doll should be like you know mass produced and yeah, he he has like pores and stuff. Like, what is this? Like, he shouldn't like have sweat glands. This is a doll. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, Chucky. <laughs> and his like eyebrows are super detailed. I don't know. Uh, now, I I love the original uh, Child's Play because they used, you know, animatronics for a lot of that, or for most of it, right? Animatronics and puppets, and um, that to me yeah. looks so much better than the CG that Chucky that we got in later years. And uh, not at this, uh, 
year's Halloween Horror Nights, but last year at Halloween Horror Nights, Chucky hosted the Terror Tram, where he takes over basically the studio tour, and then, you, you know, you get uh, diverted into a bunch of haunted houses and stuff like that. And they did this completely CGI Chucky in that that looked like the worst thing I've ever seen. So I'm I'm really hoping that uh, this looks like an actual doll moving. Do, do we know anything about, like, how they're ma- bringing Chucky to life in this? No, but they haven't said. I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being primarily cgi because that just is how everything happens now but yeah there hasn't been any actual clarification on how they're bringing him to life this time and another another thing i like about the child's play movies is like there's something so terrifying about a a thing that looks like a baby or like a little kid coming to life and killing you do you know what i mean like like it's almost um i almost want to see actually chris tell me if this movie exists because I'm, I'm not sure if it does or not. I want to see a zombie movie where all the zombies are just like toddlers. <laughs> I mean, there are movies with like killer kids. They're not really zombie movies. But I want to see like hundreds of like little toddlers like walking towards someone and they have to like kick the toddlers in the head. And like it's really, <laughs> really like wrong. Like, I want it to be like insanely like not like, like appalling. Uh, I mean,. <laughs> I, I'm sure somewhere that movie exists. I don't know. I know. I know. Our listeners are now thinking less of me for suggesting this, but I, I think that would be terrifying. At least judging from the original Child's Play movie. Uh, HD, have you ever seen the original Child's Play? No. For me, dolls are the one uh, point of no return for me. I, I will not watch movies with dolls. I am very terrified of them. Uh, so I have never seen a child's play movie or a Chucky movie, so I'm just going to stay away from this area in general. <laughs> so Annabelle is not for you. No. <laughs> okay. Let's... I'll watch the other, other Conjuring movies. <laughs> yeah. Well, she makes an appearance in those Conjuring movies, so I don't know. Yeah. So uh, let's move on to our next story, and that is uh, Robert Redford, who uh, is retired now. Uh, as most people in Hollywood who retire, like big uh, actors, uh, has come out saying he regrets being retired. Uh, HT, tell us about it. So two years ago, Robert Redford kind of shook the film community when he announced that he was planning to retire from acting and that his final film would be this year's The Old Man and the Gun, directed by David Lowery. And a lot of the acclaim and raves around this film, which has been making the film uh, festival circuit, has been how it's a perfect swan song to Redford's uh, six-decade career and how it's a love letter to him as an, as an actor. Uh, but now <laughs> he's saying that he this may not be his last film or he may not retire after this. Uh, he's been very vague about it, actually. So uh, in the at the premiere for this film, Robert Redford admitted that it was a mistake to have it to have announced that he was going to retire. So, quote, if I'm going to retire, I should just quick, quietly slip away from acting. But I shouldn't be talking about it because I think it draws too much attention the wrong way. I want to be focused on the film and the cast. Uh, so uh, later when asked to clarify if The Old Man and the Gun is not his final film, he only cryptically responded, I'm not answering that. <laughs> so <laughs> who knows if this is his final film. Um, it may be because he's noticing all of the rays that he's getting for the, his performance in this film and he has just got, caught the bug again or he wants to keep the door open for any future projects that might come his way. 
I don't think he's retired. Like, I feel like, you know, especially with, like, you know, he runs, like, the Sundance Institute and, like, being around films. He Like, I don't know. He has the bug. I don't think he can stay out of it. Uh, Chris, do you think uh, we'll see more films from Robert Redford? I do. I feel like a lot of people do this thing where they're like, I'm going to retire and then they get bored. And, you know, I, I, you know, especially like uh, I feel like Old Man and the Gun and uh, some other stuff he's done recently has given him like a bit of a resurgence. And maybe he's realizing like, you know, he still has a lot more to offer for, as an actor. So I, I think he'll be back, hopefully. I always love it when it's a young actor who declares this. Like, I remember Emma Watson after the Harry Potter movies uh, declared that she was going to go away from acting. That didn't happen. So, um, yeah, uh, not to compare Robert Redford to Emma, but uh, let's move on (laughs) to uh, another story. And that is uh, the feature film coming from This Is Us uh, showrunner Dan Fogelman. Uh, It's called Life Itself. And uh, we've talked about it on this podcast. It is not getting good reviews. And uh, I think the worst thing you can do as a director is uh, come back and uh, try to criticize those who are criticizing your work of art. Uh, H.G., tell us about what's going on with Dan Fogelman. Yeah, so after this film was almost universally lambasted by critics, it now has a 14% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, Dan Fogelman is fighting back and he is essentially pointing the blame at the film critics themselves and more specifically the quote-unquote white male critics who don't like anything that has any emotion. So in an interview he uh, basically says quote a couple of early reviews that have come out about this movie feel so out of left field to everybody who's a part of this movie. There's a disconnect between something that is happening between our primarily white male critics who don't like anything that has any emotion and he goes on to talk about how film criticism is broken and how everyone is cynical but that's ironic considering that not only does this um are most of the critical reviews of this film, uh, both from male critics, white male critics, but also from people of color and women. Uh, a large majority of them are from women, and most and some of the positive reviews, uh, majority from white male critics too. Uh, and uh, it's almost as, like he didn't even look at the Rotten Tomatoes and like make an assessment. Like he just like had already made up his mind that like it yeah. must be white male. And there is an important point to be made that, yes, the film criticism community is overwhelmingly dominated by white male critics. But in this case, that's not the issue here. I think that he just made a bad film. Yeah. Um, And and I I don't think it's a bad thing to have a filmmaker engage with his critics and have a discussion, (laughs) a reasonable discussion. Like, I feel like Ryan Johnson has done a good – has walked uh, that line pretty well, even though, you know – there's a lot of toxicity around uh, Star Wars that have kind of uh, been attacking him. Um, Chris, do you do you what do you think? Do you think like it's ever a good idea to have the filmmaker kind of like respond to critics? I don't I don't think it is. I think it's a it's a, just a line you shouldn't really cross because. I, it never comes off well, really. And like, even, you know, it, I, I don't think I've ever seen a critic, uh, like a filmmaker call out a critic and been like, yes, he was right to do that. It's just never works out. I think, you know, it's just better to, you know, I get it. I get, you know, I know if I made a film and everyone hated it, I'd be like, oh, shit. <laughs> but uh, it's just it's best to just, you know, let it go. 
And Dan Fogelman's had so much success uh, with This Is Us. I feel like he just, you know, this is the first thing that he's done badly in a while that he's, you know, you do spend so much time. You spend like years of your life investing yourself in writing, you know, d- directing, you know, casting, all, all that stuff, editing. Uh, you know, you do have a personal connection. H.T., uh, what do you think? Do you think... Uh, is it ever a good uh, time for a filmmaker to engage with the critics? I think that there could be a place for it. Uh, but in this case, it's very reactive. <laughs> he just like he just has sort of a knee-jerk reaction to these uh, critics who didn't like it and who kind of thought of it as being overly sentimental and mawkish. And he just kind of yeah responded react- instinctively and essentially attacked them instead of looking at what their actual points were. So um, there probably is a place for it. I don't think this was the place, and I don't think he had the proper, um, you know, response to everything. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. This reads more like, uh, you know, when Dwayne The Rock Johnson responded to critics of Baywatch saying he made the film for the fans, not the critics. And, like, that always bothers me. It just seems like, you know, lumping a whole group of people together uh, is wrong. And that's what he's doing. He's making an assessment of a whole category of film criticism. Um, On the other hand, I have seen film critics, you know, address issues that people have had with the movie, their movies. Um, I know people don't like to to mention this guy, but Colin Trevorrow, I feel like, has tackled sometimes, like, uh, you know, when people didn't like his films, Jurassic World, uh, more so than Book of Henry. (laughs) Like, he he actually came out and would, like, be like, oh, what, this is the intention with this, and, you know, whatever. Like, not, like, in an angry, uh, defensive attacking way, Uh, but, like, trying to explain yourself as an artist, which I think... Um, an artist doesn't necessarily have to do, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I do feel like there's sort of that, you know, death of the author conceit going on here where once you make a product, it's kind of out of your hands now. And sometimes it's up to the critics or the audiences to interpret it for themselves. And even when it's a film that's, um, like well liked by some people like uh, mother, for example, I actually, I quite like that film until Darren Aronofsky started talking and I was like, <laughs> okay, I, I like it a lot less now that you keep hammering it in that it's a, Bible uh, allegory. I get it. I get it. Yeah, especially so when there's interpretations case... to be had. Like, I feel like yeah. I, I I don't want that to be spelled out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I know I, I saw Shane Cruz. Uh, uh, what was that film? Whatever color. Do you remember, Chris? Up, upstream, upstream color. Upstream color. Yes, I saw the film and I I, I kind of enjoyed it. And then there was this Q and A with uh, Jeff Goldsmith after the film, where basically he got uh, Shane Cruz to b- basically explain everything about the movie all the you know the 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 intentions and it it kind of totally ruined it for me it's it's almost it's almost like um uh did either of you see donnie darko the director's cut yes yeah (laughs) yeah and i was a fan of donnie darko but like that film kind of like is like oh here's what I was going for. I was like no, it was better when we were interpreting what you were going for. Uh, I, I I agree with that 100. percent I remember I loved Donnie Darko when it came out, and that director's cut. There are literally scenes where there's like text up on the screen explaining what's oh, happening, no. and it was like, why is this in here? This is ruining the movie. <laughs> I was so excited for that. I was still living in Boston, I, in, in Natick, and I traveled to Boston to this 
theater that had like the you know one of the early premieres of it and i was so excited and i was so bummed walking out of that movie but uh yeah okay anyways uh let's move on to our next story and that is for this joker movie that we've been talking a lot about uh walking phoenix uh the first uh i guess screen test of him in the full clown makeup has hit the the web and uh it's getting a divisive reaction uh chris tell us about it Oh uh, yeah, so this isn't an actual scene from the movie. It's it's literally a, like a, a camera test. It even says at the beginning, like camera test, and it's you know it starts off with Joaquin Phoenix looking like he does in that official image that was released a few days ago, and then it zooms in and slowly there's all these cuts that eventually transforms him into uh, the Joker. I guess it's hard to tell if this is like going to be the final Joker makeup or if this is just like an in-between thing. I personally think this is like something early. And then by the end of the film, he'll look more like the traditional Joker, but either way, um, I got to say this, (laughs) this is the first thing that's really sold me on this movie, believe it or not. You know, I, I, uh, I've, I've remained very skeptical, even though this has an incredible cast, I've just been sort of like, I don't know, on the sidelines thinking we don't need a Joker movie, especially like a standalone Joker movie. But I don't know there's something about this footage, just the way it's shot and the way Joaquin Phoenix looks that really convinced me he might like pull this off. He might actually make the film interesting just with his performance alone. Uh, Itchy, what do you think of this? Hmm. <laughs> um, I don't like it. <laughs> So this is a it's a very strange reversal for me and Chris because usually I'm very excited about things and Chris on the other hand is not in this case I'm not I'm still don't really know what to think of this movie and I just don't think that this is working for me in any capacity I thought I think the the main thing is that I've kind of considered this one to be an origin film so I didn't really anticipate us seeing him in Joker makeup at all. I thought maybe we'd see the transformation of it. And I was more actually interested in that origin story rather than actually seeing him become the Joker and having nods to the greater Batman universe or whatever. And um, I do like Walking Phoenix. I think he can pull anything off. Um, I just, I don't know what to think of this and how it's, it feels like it's just kind of teasing a lot of Batman fans into getting excited for a film for maybe a look that'll appear for like 10 seconds in the movie. You really think that this look is only going to appear for 10 seconds? I don't know. I don't really know what to think of this movie in general. I just don't <laughs> think that it will. I'm. This is just my personal opinion. I don't think it'll play a major part in the movie. Hmm. Do, do you think that we will get an alternate Joker look by the end of this film? Uh, I don't know. Um, Possibly. <laughs> Chris, yeah, like, is this just like an like the you know the first stage of him becoming the, like, yeah, yeah? That's what I was thinking. I really think he might change. At the same time, a part of me doesn't want that to happen because I kind of like how different this looks. You know, it doesn't look like any traditional Joker, and you know, it, it you know it has that face paint look that Heath Ledger's Joker had, but it doesn't really look like that either. And I kind of love. I think that's that's what sold me more than anything the fact that it doesn't look anything like what you expect. I, I kind of feel like this is going to just basically defy everything people think about the Joker. I mean, even like giving him that name, like Arthur Fleck is like not in the comics. So I don't know. I am slowly becoming cautiously optimistic for this. So we'll see. See, I'm optimistic for this project, but this, 
this look for the Joker doesn't uh, excite me because he just looks like a clown. There's nothing uh, unusual or interesting or iconic about this look. Uh, you know, looking back at any of the Jokers from the comics or, you know, the, the best portrayals on the big screen, uh, Jack Nicholson and Heath Ledger. Uh, notice how I didn't say Jared Leto. And uh, I I don't know. I just feel like this is just so boring. And I, I, I really hope you're right, Chris. I hope that this is kind of like, you know, the journey to become the Joker. And by the end of the film, we get this kind of like I, more iconic Joker look. Uh, I just want to um, I just want to mark this momentous occasion where I was the one positive person for this subject. <laughs> so every it happened. Every, everyone out there always accuses me of being too negative. Put this in your 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 journals. This was the day when everything changed. It finally happened. <laughs> okay, let's move on to our last final story, and this is a story about Marvel's The Eternals, which is a movie uh, in development, and they have hired a director. HD, tell us about it. So Marvel has tapped Chloe Zhao to direct Marvel's The Eternals. Uh, Chloe Zhao is director of the acclaimed indie Western film The Writer, which uh, came out uh, last year and well earlier this year, actually. It won the Artistic uh, Award at Cannes Film Festival in 2017. And uh, Chloe Zhao, who was actually on the shortlist uh, to direct Marvel's Black Widow movie, uh, has now been tapped for Eternals, which will be penned by Matthew and Ryan Furpo. Um, So this is going to be a film that will kind of take a more complex, convoluted uh, area of the cosmic realm of Marvel Comics and try to bring it to the big screen. Um, Reportedly, according to the the Hollywood Reporter, we'll be seeing this as a love story between um, E... Uh, Icarus, a man fueled by cosmic energy, and Cersei, who relishes moving among humans. And so it might boil down to that, or that might be one of the aspects of this film. But this is a really interesting choice, uh, Chloe Zhao, because she already has won a lot of acclaim for the writer, which got nominated for a few awards at the Independent Spear Awards last year. And um, was she's one of the up-and-coming auteurs of today. You know, when this news hit, my first response was, Chloe who? Because, <laughs> and like, you know, I'm a, I'm someone that writes about film, and, like, it just, she's just not on my radar. I did see the writer. I know uh, – the only thing I know about it is it really got some, you know, acclaim from the Indie Spirit Awards. I don't think any of us have seen the writer, right, at this point? No, I haven't seen it. It was in my, one of my local theaters for a while, and I really wanted to go and check it out, but then it just disappeared really quickly. So – but I do know um, – that one of our writers, uh, Sedant, I, uh, I don't know how to say his last name. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, yeah, he, um, he's a huge fan. He's a huge fan of the writer. Yeah, uh, and Chris, you haven't seen that movie as well, right? I haven't. I I heard it's it's very sad, and I don't know. I was going through this thing this year where I don't really feel like watching anything overly sad. I've had enough, people. <laughs> um, I'm, I, you know, it's now on my list of things to watch. Uh, you know, Mar- Marvel has done this in the past where they've hired the people that have had kind of like these small indie movies like, you know, uh, John Watts, who directed uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, they found out of this movie Cop Car that was at Sundance, which I saw at Sundance. Uh, so, I mean, maybe this is, this is something I just missed. It is good to see Marvel taking the criticism that they don't have many female directors a little bit more seriously. And also, I, I know you mentioned that there is you know, this love story possibly at the the core of this. But 
I, I love that they are hiring a female director to to direct a movie that isn't just like, you know, a female superhero movie. Like, uh, you, you know, I feel like uh, that happens too often. They're like, oh, you know, we'll only hire the female director when it is a female led movie, you know, like a, a yeah. female focused movie. And th- th- like it, it is good that they are looking beyond that. Um. Yeah, I agree. I like that a lot. And um, especially because I don't I well, I really encourage the the studios to hire female directors for female led films. I do like that they're letting them expand beyond that and not having to just associate with only stories that are part of their experience. So um, I'm really excited for this. And I, um, I think it's kind of funny, too, that they they hired a female director for the the Eternals, which is kind of Marvel's. equivalent to the DC New Gods movie, which is also being helmed by a, a female director, Ava DuVernay, which, so it's kind of a funny parallel there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, it also shows, I think, um, and maybe I could be reaching here, but uh, that, like, because it, they hired a director that wasn't even on my radar, which I think shows that they are digging deep to, tr- to, to try to do some work in this area. So, um so I'm happy about that. Uh, uh, Chris, do you have any uh, additional thoughts on uh, Chloe directing The Eternals? Like, I, I've never read any of The Eternals. Like, I, you know, I've read a lot of Marvel comics, but I don't really know much about The Eternals. Like, that's kind of yeah. beyond my realm. I've, I've honestly never heard of them, but I also had never heard of, really, the Guardians of the Galaxy either. And that ended up becoming, like, my favorite Marvel franchise. So who knows? Yeah, same thing. I I I picked up a trade once uh, that was announced, and I I fell in love with them. So maybe that will happen with the Eternals. We'll have to find out. But Ichi, when is the Eternal? Like, do they have a release date or expected? Uh, when it might be in theaters? No, they don't have a release date yet. It's just, it, I think, in early development as of now. Early development. Okay, very cool. Uh, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. Ht. Where can people find more of your work online? You can find me writing every day at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at HTranBui. Chris, where can we find you? Uh, I'm also at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at Evangelista 413 You can find me at SlashFilm on all social networks. You can find all the stories we've talked about today on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. Uh, you can subscribe to this podcast, SlashFilmDaily, on all the popular podcast apps, including iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, and SlashFilm.com. Uh, please send send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to Peter at SlashFilm.com and go write a positive review of this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you on Monday. Uh, my door, my door, I have not heard a knock on my door, so maybe I did not miss this iPhone, guys. Uh, cool. So did neither of you got the new iPhone? No. 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 Which one did you get? Did you get that insanely like fifteen hundred dollar one? I'm not. I could. I don't think I can justify well, for, that. Well, first of all, I don't buy the phone outright. I pay the like the monthly right thing, yeah. and it lets me um upgrade a phone every year because you trade it in. So you, I think I end up paying like sixty bucks a month. What does that add up to? I don't even know. Oh, interesting. Whatever. Whatever. Uh, It's it's too much money. And it's an S year. But are are both of you Apple users? Yeah, I'm an iPhone user. I have the 7. But I can't, I just, I can't fathom having a phone bigger than what it already is. It's huge. I can, I cannot put this in my pocket. I have tiny pockets. Do you have the plus or is it the. No, it's the regular 7. But it's, it's already very large for me. So. 
I don't what, know. I can't fathom any larger. What about you, Chris? I think I have the X. I don't even know what I have, honestly. Like the X. Yeah. When, the, when, it, when it's time to get a new phone, my wife says it's time to get new phones. And, then we, and I just I follow her to the Apple store, <laughs> and I, I I just I take whatever she gives me. See, I'm a, I'm an Apple fanatic, and I had one of those pluses, like what was it, seven plus or eight plus or whatever, and that was like my perfect. Like I know it's huge, but I like being able to, you know see more information on the screen and then when i got the x which i think is the one that you probably have uh you know it's smaller and fits is less it? information so oh. this one is going to be the one that i'm getting today is the same size as the plus but with a bigger screen because the screen you know goes to the edges i don't know oh right i've seen that yeah, yeah. right it has like a larger like flat screen wow yeah. it's it's so... all it's all unnecessary yeah, I just I keep mine until I break it. So, <laughs> I I have you broken one? Like you've actually broken your phone? Oh, actually, I've only broken one once. So I've I'm pretty good about keeping my phone, um, like safe. <laughs> yeah, I dropped it a couple, times, but I actually go caseless, and I have only cracked what? my phone once. Why? Yeah. It, it, insane. It was funny. <laughs> like one time, um, I remember I was going into um a movie theater and the, you know, the person needed to scan the ticket on my phone and I handed the phone to them and they're like, you don't have a case. You must be rich. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's my, that's my thought too. I'm like, wow, this is person must be just rolling in the dough. I, 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 I'm not, so paranoid. <laughs> but the, uh, but that, that plan that you pay monthly includes two times for uh, iPhone screen replacement. If it were to happen, but it hasn't happened to me. So I don't know. Okay, guys, uh, <laughs> enough iPhone talk. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you guys later. All right, All right bye. Bye. bye.